0: Hey, welcome back to the program. We're going to begin with a scripture reading and a prayer led by Father Lewis.
1: Our scripture passage comes from St. Matthew's Gospel account, uh, chapter 6, starting with verse 27. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single moment to your lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothes? Learn from the way the wildflowers grow. They do not work or spin. But I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was clothed like one of them. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which grows today, and is thrown into the oven tomorrow, will He not much more provide for you, O you of little faith? So do not worry and say, What are we to eat, or what are we to drink, or what are we to wear? All these things the pagans seek. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given you besides. Good and gracious God, we ask you to provide for our every need. Help us to place all worries and anxieties aside, that we may more clearly and more confidently seek you and your kingdom for our salvation, for your greater glory. We ask this in all your blessings through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you so much, Father Lewis. I appreciate that prayer. So Father, it's like, why did we pray that prayer? So do, do you know I'm, why? I'm worried why we prayed that. See prayer. <laughs> there it is. This is actually really good. I like this. This is one of those um, this is one of those um, uh, things where it's like uh, better not to know, but to trust in the Lord. all right. <laughs> so today uh, on the program, we're going to talk a bit about that idea of trusting in the Lord. right? So before we began, uh, what were we talking about?
1: We were talking about, yeah, you caught me already in the first snare. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we were talking a bit about um, sort of the life of um, uh, of the church today. Oh, and mm-hmm. when you have the numbers of Catholics that are practicing their faith diminishing, you have still the same number of churches that are open. Yeah. And, um, and that can then cause a dispersion of, a dilution of... The amount of pastoral care the priests can provide. Yeah. Do you know anything about that at all? Have you had any experience with that at all?
1: I, I have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not as bad as some uh, other brother priests in my diocese in our diocese here in Spokane, but um, yeah, being stretched thin is uh, no help to anyone.
0: So I don't know if you knew this. When I first came out to Seattle back in the late nineties, Archbishop Murphy was the the Seattle uh, was the uh, the Archbishop, and he invited me to come out to do ministry here to to work and serve the church. And one of the things he had me do was help what are called extern priests. Hmm. Do you know what an extern priest is?
1: Are they priests not or uh, not a uh, not uh, part of the diocese, but brought in from other dioceses to help with ministry and parishes? And yes, things. is that right? Yeah, they were
0: quasi acephalous. <laughs> How's that for? I'm throwing out big words now, yeah. right? So a priest can't be acephalous, which means what? You don't have a head. You don't have a bishop. A priest needs a bishop. Yeah. And so priests that are seeking to incardinate, right, to to get a new head, to right. to move from one diocese to another, they will spend a a, a, a period of time, oftentimes it's years, where there's this mutual discernment process, feeling each other out, right? Like, okay, is this the right place for me? Are you a good fit for the diocese? And so um, when I uh, arrived here, because of my work with leadership in the church, they said, well, why don't you serve these seven priests? I think there were like seven of them. And a couple of them were from the Philippines. Mm -hmm. Now, you want to understand challenges? Okay, so one of the priests that I was serving had... Ninety-nine parishes. Whoa. Ninety-nine. So there was a main parish that was where he lived, and then he had 98 missions. Wow. And I said, describe your life to me. He said, what would happen is I would wake up in the morning, I'd go out my front door, there was a car waiting for me, and they would drive me to one of the missions. And when I was at the missions, I would do, what what would he do?
1: Probably everything confessions, baptisms, confessions, baptisms, marriages. Uh,
0: uh, he uh, would do some form of like remembrance, Mm. like if there was a funeral, if someone had died, they would do some kind of funeral type service. Um, he'd catechize, he would um celebrate mass, of Mm. course, uh, and confect the Eucharist so that there'd be a, a sufficient supply of. The blessed sacrament and Eucharist Mm. available, um, and then occasionally would be following up with, um, you know, a confirmation, right? Mm. But he he would do that, and then he would be driven back, and then he would go to bed and get up in the next morning, and he'd get back in the car and he'd go around to the next one or two, depending on how far away they were or how near they were in proximity. And he said that was his life. Wow, his entire life was centered. And focused on sacramental contact with the faithful, and he said uh, he had. You know how many employees he had?
1: I bet. I bet he had maybe one to keep his calendar. <laughs> he
0: had 116.
1: Oh wow! Well, that's employees. That's good, at least. <laughs> yeah,
0: he said all of these different uh, parishes, these different missions, had their own catechist, okay. a layperson, and so. It was, the, it was the layperson that had the day-to-day task of accompanying these people and in terms of pastoral care, in terms of catechesis, in terms of sort of, uh, you know, uh, boots on the ground presence to them. And, um, and, and that was his life. Wow. That was his whole life. Wow. Okay, so that's number one. Uh-huh. Number two, <laughs> the second one was he said that he, he didn't have that many but he had 34,000 parishioners. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, families.
1: Families. Families. Oh, wow.
0: 34,000 families that he was caring for among his various missions.
1: Wow. Wow. Now, how do you feel? Uh, suddenly my three country parishes totaling <laughs> 150 families uh, doesn't seem so bad.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and what, was, what was so interesting was um, what these particular priests— struggled with when they came to the U.S. and were uh, being a priest in the United States, a priest in, in this instance, the Archdiocese of Seattle. Can you imagine what was it that they were struggling with?
1: What to do with all their free time? Like, yeah.
0: w- And what is it that these people expect of me? Oh, yeah. Right? Like, why do we have all of this organization? Why yeah. do we have all of these meetings? What's with all of this bureaucracy? What's with all of this, these different groups and clubs and stuff? It's like these priests were so entirely dialed in on ministering in the name of Jesus, principally sacramental ministry, but then secondarily other forms of pastoral care. That all of the other, let's call it ecclesiastical machinery, institutional bureaucracy, was just completely foreign to them. And so they struggled to be in one parish, where they were flourishing was caring for a hundred parishes. So that's something. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So what a different... I mean, it's, it's the same priesthood, but boy, when you think about... Context mm-hmm. when you think about um, like di- diverse situations in the world, boy, it really it just shifts how people look at um, you know or how priests actually are living their priesthood. Yeah. So, so Father, talking to you about um, your own living of the priesthood, when you take a look at the way that you're stretched, a lot of that stretch is probably connected to the machinery. Yeah. So, what's that like for for you?
1: Well, I mean, it's it's um, it depends on my mood any given moment, I suppose. Sometimes it's aggravating. Sometimes it's it's just merely exhausting. But I just kind of muddle through it. But um, you know, the thing that uh, at the top of mind right now is um, we're we're in the midst of a transition of, of principal at our school, and um, and all of what that's related to how the teachers are responding, how the parents are responding, how we're going to handle the finances of this as it applies and all this. And um, what helps me is to realize, okay, these are the things that I can control, and that's where I'll pour my energies. These things I might be able to have some influence, but I just got to say my piece or do my part and let it go. And the rest of it is just concern, and I can't be bothered with that because that'll be energy draining, and for what purpose? For nothing. Mm -hmm. And so I got to be able to just kind of compartmentalize that and, and, and then move on to the next thing that is in my you know sphere of influence and control
0: well so, and thank thanks be to god that you had a huge amount of training and and classes in the seminary on how to i'm just teasing right time yeah. management organizational development <laughs> the leadership the one semester formation. class of pastoral so,
1: administration was a class that I didn't take so that's so funny oh.
0: <laughs> so anyways um well i think that um i I think that one of the phenomena that is showing up around the country is a focus on, like the care for um, the, the the life energy of priests mm-hmm. and the uh, geographical not, 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 not geographical is not right, the right word. Um, what's the right word? Just the 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 the, um, the sparsity of of um, of. of Personnel yeah. and of money to be able to to take care of now a a wider number of uh, of parishes because mm-hmm. the number of priests is diminishing and priests are getting older.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, you know, at least you know, what you're kind of describing that the situation in the Philippines. You know, I would I would imagine that you know why is he so busy going out to all these hundred places? Well, because those hundred places have a a reason to exist. There are people there. That are seeking the Lord in the sacraments, especially catechesis. Um, a key difference between that situation and a lot of our common experience here in the United States is we have not as many parishes. But what we do, we go, and it's four people at the Sunday Mass, and it's like the Mass is all that they want or need. They think, and then, and but you know, the priest drove 40 miles to get out there and has to figure out how to keep the lights on the four people who are. Tithing whatever they can or whatever and and um you know, and we kind of wonder, well, you know at what point do we start to consolidate this? because I would love to pour my energy into multiple parishes if at each one the people were were abundant in their in their faith and their desire for that for a deeper faith, if there were just people there, versus you know, I come out and there's a couple of people there that you know if it weren't for this, I'd be watching a basketball game. And um, that's for me, is energy dra- draining, and mm-hmm. uh, energy giving is when I, I, f- I feel like what I'm doing is making a, a difference, you know, and, I'm, and, it's, and it's being received. So, um, anyway, that's a key difference, I think, between those two scenarios.
0: So, uh, I'm going to get a little dramatic <laughs> and talk about um, people, people will say, like, what's happening in the state of the church in the United States? Mm-hmm. And I will use the word calamity. Mm. We are actually in the midst of a calamity, mm-hmm. right? Most people think of a calamity as you know, a nuclear bomb goes off and you know there's devastation everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a spiritual nuclear bomb that has gone off, mm-hmm. and there is a calamity that we are living in the middle of, yeah. and it it's only taken one generation. So when I grew up, Saint Malachy's Catholic Church in Burlington, Massachusetts. Um, we, uh, you've heard me say how many pa- how many masses we had on a weekend. Do you remember this?
1: Yeah, I can't remember, but you mentioned so it.
0: on Saturday, we had three masses. Oh, wow. We had a four, a 5.15, and a seven o'clock mass on wow. Saturday. And then on Sunday, we had a 7.30, 8.30, 9.45, 11, and 12.15 mass. Wow. And the 9.45, 11, and 12.15, standing room only. Wow. Absolutely packed. Wow. Okay, so that's eight masses, and there was a second Catholic church in in Burlington, Massachusetts called St. Margaret's, and it was similarly packed, packed. It was even bigger. It was even a bigger church. They even had a downstairs overflow. Okay. Do you know how many people lived in Burlington when I grew up? Yeah, like
1: 15,000 people. (laughs) Yeah,
0: 20,000 people.
1: Yeah, it's a small city.
0: 20,000 people, and there were a total of about ten. Catholic masses on a weekend wow. in that little town. And, and there were plenty of other Catholic churches around us, too. So this was just Burlington itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now...
1: That was your childhood.
0: That was my childhood.
1: Yeah.
0: And we had four priests oh, wow. at our parish. Three or four priests. three Often three, sometimes four, eventually two, then the one and now one shared between the two and now they're closed there they've combined the two parishes and eventually they're <laughs> going to close St. Malachy's, the church wow. I grew up in wow and that that's the difference between 1980 and 2020 mm-hmm. in 40 years it's been what is that that's the definition of a calamity yeah when you go from that kind of involvement and uh in and filled church to the the empty empty like cavernous space that is so empty that you can't you can only not only not staff them but there was no reason to because the attendance was so small. Mm-hmm. What in the world is going on? Yeah. Now, Father, I'm not asking you to. <laughs> I don't know if you have the, the full answer. We're up against a break. When we come back, everyone, Father is going to give us the answer. <laughs> what happened? And you can't just blame it on Burlington, Massachusetts. Okay. <laughs> All right, back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home, it's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. So Father, we're all at pins and needles. You've had a good minute to think about the answer to this question. Um, Is it Is it too dramatic to call what's happened, what has happened, even just that one little sliver of experience, to call that a calamity?
1: No, in fact, I was going to say that um, even if we can't perceive the significance of that because that's spread out over 40 years, I think that the, the severity of that calamity will continue, but in a much more compressed fashion, probably than just before 2030, I sat down with a couple of my priest friends. One's just kind of, kind of thought about, mused on the the, the demographics of the Catholic Church in the United States in the last couple of generations, and um and and he, I, I'd have to show you the graphic, but he kind of proposed like you know in a kind of a bar graph, you know, so many Catholics that still call themselves Catholics of this generation you know, say like 80% of them actually go to mass, but fewer of the next generation down and fewer of the next generation down. So not only are fewer of that generation going to mass, but there's fewer of them for a variety of reasons. The largest is, you know, rather than having large families of seven, eight, nine kids, it's large families of two, three, maybe four. And so the family size have dropped. And if maybe you could hope that half of your eight kids will still practice their faith in the adulthood, that's four out of eight. That's
0: actually shockingly high. Yeah. Because and that's then, a fifty percent and the and the statistics are twelve percent. Yeah. So that means one out of eight.
1: One out of eight. And then if you have only three kids, well, there's a good chance that none of them will, you know, going into adulthood. So that's the precipice, but we're gonna see that because the the parents of the baby boomers, the greatest generation, they are basically all gone. Then the baby boomer generation is in their sixties, seventies, and eighties. And they'll—that's—that's that's what we're going to see the massive drop off in the next ten years. This, according to my priest friend, so we're going to see this. What you described in a forty-year happening in your hometown, we're going to see in greater clarity just in the next decade, and then—and then it'll really become clear.
0: Yeah, yeah. I—I I was a consultant for a specialty insurance company that had a focus on providing. Um, Uh, insurance, like liability insurance, to senior living facilities, skilled nursing facilities. And they had all of the data about what is um, sort of euphemistically called the pig in the anaconda. Mm. Have you heard that phrase before?
1: Uh you got this long snake, and you can see where the pig just ate, and it just... Is yeah. the bulge that goes that through the whole length? Yeah. That big bulge
0: is demographically the greatest generation and baby boomers, mm-hmm. right? That they're all moving towards the end of their lives, and so for him it was this general. You know, if if you want to you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to find a. Um, a demographic that's going to grow, <laughs> it's the older folks. Yeah. So build a business that serves older folks.
1: Like nursing homes, yeah, which like are nursing crop homes. up everywhere. That's right. Yeah.
0: So, But that's not the point of this program. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the point of this program is that you identified that among them are more traditional conservative attitudes when it comes to religion and faith and belief in God. And so when that pig in the anaconda goes away, what are we going to be left with? A wasteland, mm-hmm. right? A real. We- it is a calamity, mm-hmm. and so the sadness is that it's it's not only that people are becoming indifferent to faith; it's they're becoming hostile mm-hmm. to faith. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's what do they say? Uh, if you take away God, you take away man. Mm-hmm. Right. So the authentic sense of who a, who a human being is, mm-hmm. and if you remove God, it doesn't mean that human beings are just going to flourish because they're all people of goodwill. No, it, it, will, it will pendulum swing over to the demonic, mm-hmm. to the anti-gospel. Mm-hmm. And so you that's know, the, what we're facing. Right,
1: there's the principle in physics that nature abhors a vacuum. I maintain that the same principle applies to the supernatural. If we as an individual or as individuals or even as a society, you know, if we have jettisoned God, then we, we've left a void and it will be filled. If we don't choose what fills it, it will be filled for us, but it, it's, there's going to be something there because God does exist even if you want to deny that reality. So if you choose not to believe that, you've created a vacuum. That's going to be filled. A lot of folks will fill it with the things of this world. The world being hostile toward God and his church means that these people now filled with that hostility, that's why they're no longer indifferent to the to the church and to religion. They're no longer live and let live. They are like, well, wait a minute, they're holy and I can't stand that, and so they're going to go after us and with greater hostility. Certainly we've seen that in the culture um, in the, in the, um, in the, even in the certain uh, corners of the government in recent years. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, I think about uh, something Carrie said to me. Um, we we often love to have our little coffee talk in the morning. Um, and she said, Do you realize that uh, when Aquinas identifies these three things that are useful for doing something great for God, but not necessary, those are wealth and power and fame, right? Those mm-hmm. are the three. Typical ones everyone always goes after, like that's what you're choosing and chase after. She said, do you realize how that that also really maps out against, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory? And I'm like, I've never thought of that. Yeah, neither have I. Kingdom is wealth and power is power and, mm-hmm. and glory is fame.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and it's, you stop and say, wait a minute. Either God is the one in whom you identify as the one who holds all riches and all wealth and all that is good in his hands, and he is the one who's all-powerful, and he is the one who radiates what is worthy of pursuit and um, of following, um, or we are. Mm -hmm. We're going to choose to to pursue those things ourselves.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And I'm like, Hey, that was pretty good, Carrie. Yeah, that was, that was pretty. I got a pretty, pretty smart wife.
1: You got some good coffee talks. Yeah, let's go, let's
0: go. Um, but what is necessary is holiness, mm-hmm. right? Not, not wealth and not power and not fame, but it's holiness that is what is needed to do something great for God. Okay, so then this brings me to the next question. Um, so proposition number one: we're living in the midst of a calamity,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, people will naturally say, "Tom, relax." Yeah, have a barbecue. You know, just enjoy this weekend, right? <laughs> this weekend was Mother's Day, right? Just relax, don't, take it easy. Don't don't be so stirred up. But I can't when I see the devastation. Um, so that's the first one. The second one is here's another proposal. It takes a heroic effort to raise an ordinary Christian. Yeah. What do you think of that?
1: I think that's absolutely true. It's uh, maybe in a Christendom uh, culture, it wouldn't be seen as heroic because you've got quite a support system around you to to keep the ball rolling in the direction that you want it to roll anyway. That is that is that is dead. Uh, Christianity is not dead, but Christendom is dead. Um, or it's definitely in its death rattle. And, yeah, it's um, almost
0: like a stream, right? right? If the culture is... If you're moving with the culture and it's Christendom, mm-hmm. then you can kind of float. Mm-hmm. You don't mm-hmm. have to put in a lot of effort right. to just kind of float with everyone else. And, and you've got eight masses on a Sunday and mm-hmm. you've got all this full churches and all of that. Mm-hmm. Well, it feels like we're in raging waters and we're trying to go upstream.
1: Right. And so if you continue to just go down the stream, you're, what's the prevailing current of the stream? It's the current of the culture. And so that's where it's heroic. And, um, you know, I think it's Chesterton, I'm probably paraphrasing wrong, but he said, you know, um, dead things flow with the stream. Only a living fish can flow against it. And, um mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that's, that's heroic is um, is a very dramatic word, but I think it's appropriate. But the virtue at play there is fortitude. I've got to rise above my weaker base self to do what needs doing. And uh, that's harder when, you know, I remember one time, you know, I brought a bunch of kids down to youth apologetics camp a couple summers ago down in central Idaho. And on the way back, we we're going through... Um, uh, part of Central Idaho that uh, on Salmon River that eventually connects with Hell's Canyon and the Snake River. So we're in this deep gorge, and we decided to get out of the bus and um, go in the water to cool off. And uh, it took a lot of strength just to stand there and not be swept away by the current. Just to stand there, hmm. let alone keep powering forward. Now, if I if I wanted to go that way downstream, just pick my legs up and float. But I, but I, it already swept me away. I need to go back up to the bus. And it's like everything I can do to march up that way. Culturally speaking, spiritually speaking, I think that's where we are. So, yes, it is. it takes great heroism to raise a, an ordinary Christian. I wholly agree with that. So here is
0: a—this is not a profound example, but it was a, oh, my goodness, what am I doing example. So uh, we don't watch a lot of TV in our house. Um I think Kerry would say, how dare you say that on, on, on the radio? You can't lie. Um, we don't really watch TV, but we'll watch um, like videos, right? Yeah. So there was a clip from the movie Top Gun Maverick, mm. right? Cool movie. Yeah. And uh, I, if, you, if you remember the movie, what well, was like one of the very coolest scenes was the first time he was up in the jet. And oh, always, in the
1: very opening scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. one of those
0: opening. Or no, not that one. But when he first gets to Top Gun, okay, and he's like, day one, starting dogfighting, yeah, right? Yeah. And we're gonna take you on. Uh-huh. Right? And so I put on that scene. It was just like a clip. I just put on that scene because it was really cool. And it's like, okay, we're gonna have you know 200 push-ups at stake or whatever it was. You remember uh-huh. the scene? Mm-hmm. Okay, so. Uh, what I didn't realize about the scene, and I'm watching it, and I, I've got my three youngest there. So Annalise is 13, uh, Lu- no, 14. She just turned 14. Um, Luciana's 12, and Liliana's 10, 14, 12, and 10. And our rule is that these kids don't even get to watch, You know, even my 14-year-old barely ever gets to watch a PG-13 movie. The sure. default setting is no, you don't, until mm-hmm. we've watched it, we've vetted it, and we make sure it's going to be okay. Yeah. And I thought, well, this is such a fun scene. My girls can watch this. And so, you know, there's no violence and there's no, you know, inappropriate sexual stuff and Uh all of this. Well, guess what there is? Swearing.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: I didn't realize it.
1: Yeah.
0: I didn't realize it. And it wasn't like the harshest words. But we're going through the scene. All of a sudden I hear one and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. And I was only aware of it because I was watching it with these three girls. And I'm like, okay, well, that's just one. We'll move on. And then another one happened. And then another one happened. And, and then I turned it off. I just said, I, I can't believe that I wasn't conscious. I wasn't sensitized. I've become desensitized to language that I absolutely do not permit anybody in the house to say. I don't permit it. I don't speak that way. I don't permit my kids to speak that way. And, and if other kids come in the house, and if they use language like this, they're friends, I will correct them and say, that's not how we talk in this house. And yet, what was I doing?
1: You were letting them. I was permitting this. it. Yeah.
0: I was permitting mm-hmm. the language in the house. I wasn't promoting it. I wasn't doing it, but I was permitting it. Mm-hmm. Because I allowed a clever, very entertaining presentation. It was really thrilling and cool. And what am I doing? So you talk about swimming upstream, and that's a movie that, all things being equal, we would say, you know, that's not a bad movie compared to so much else that's out there uh-huh. that is sort of woke and 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 just inappropriate and goofy. Right. So I don't know. What do you think of that?
1: Well, yeah, it's it's a subtle subtle way that um, the culture still is is up against us. And <clears throat> excuse me, um, it's and it's difficult. You know, I. I, I, th- I know the the word that they're using that scene that would cause alarms and um, I, I I think I guess I'm sensitive to that and be like you know they could have got away without saying those words but um, but uh, it just it can just uh, happen um, and that's the thing is that our our the fort- fortitude is needed to help us to rise above our weaker selves I mentioned and that includes just have a heightened awareness of Where the snares are great and small, because they're all snares nonetheless, or at least they can, they can be fake trails that lead us off the main path that we want to be on, that can lure us away, and uh, they're just little things. Um, And why sweat the little stuff? Well, the little stuff quickly can easily and easily can give way to the big stuff. So if we can stop the snowball at the top of the mountain, we can potentially prevent the avalanche that happens at the bottom of the mountain. Right.
0: I feel like the avalanche has occurred, and we're right in the middle of it. Right, we're, we're about to be swept away by the. Isn't this a fun program, Father? <laughs> talking about diminishing Gloom numbers of doom. church. I know it's like Christ is risen, the power of the Holy Spirit's coming, <laughs> and and here we are. And I'm talking about the really the radical desensitization mm-hmm. that it, parents are facing. So if if it takes an extraordinary, a heroic effort to raise. An ordinary Catholic. When I say ordinary, there's no ordinary, right? Because right. the supernatural grace of God and this and that, but it's a nice contrast mm. to heroic. To to just say a practicing Catholic. Yeah. It takes a heroic effort to raise a practicing Catholic today. Not a saint, but just a practicing person of faith. Mm-hmm. And it 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 requires just that much more focus and attention, that much more intentionality, right? Intentionality—that this is a goal, and I'm going to vigorously, rigorously pursue it, come what may. Yeah. And I think that that's—I uh, think that is one of the biggest challenges that we face today—is that we end up having that uh, the the effort, the vigorous, rigorous effort, just gets dispersed, and we get distracted mm-hmm. by other things. Mm-hmm. And then that snowball that you talked about just starts rolling downstream.
1: Mm-hmm. Even if we're not so easily distracted, it feels like a lot of families are just, you know, maybe too quick to allow certain compromises. Um, you know, and that that's a part of the battle is that, you know, if our kids are going to be living out in the world, then the parents need to be realized, okay, they're going to be surrounded by friends who have the smartphones, who have the iPads, who have unfettered access to the internet. And we're not letting our kids do that. We're going to have to prepare for mom, but our friends have it, and to just stand your ground, like I know you guys do. And that's another act of heroism to say, nope. Um, bishop Daly, when he got here in his first press conference for as our bishop of Spokane, had four words that he said that basically summarizes, I think, his whole pastoral approach. He says, compassion always, compromise never— And I think those are just such wise words. And so, yeah, we can have compassion for other families that may allow this, but we've got to not compromise let those values interfere with ours. If that's the goal, right? You're talking about easy to say, very hard to do. So So hard hard
0: to to live. Mm -hmm. I think that it is a um, an immense challenge to get parents to say, if I'm going to take a stand, to withstand this toxic, polluting culture. Boy, I'm not a happy guy again. Yeah. This toxic, polluting culture to preserve the innocence of my kids, then I have to make serious efforts even to engage and interrupt uh, how other families are raising their kids. We'll talk about this in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnon with Father Jeff Lewis. So Father... It's so we take it takes a heroic effort to raise a practicing Catholic, and I think that it means being willing to be courageous enough to love enough to speak into situations that we ordinarily wouldn't even dare to, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I can't think of, I I can't say, no, there have been a number of occasions where Carrie or I have called. Parents of friends of our kids, right? So our kids have friends, and and we've called them up to say, "Do you realize that your child has a smartphone that has no um, limits on it? it? It's it doesn't have protections on it. It doesn't it doesn't have the proper restrictions on it. Mm-hmm. No. You know how the, it 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 parents will very easily experience that as a gotcha. Yeah, like how dare you?" Right Now, the nice thing is is that often there's a sense of, wow, I didn't know that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But as often as not, there's a bit of a, how dare you? Mm-hmm. And are you trying to like say you're better than I am? And, and there's a kind of a gotcha mm-hmm. spirit. Um, or uh, the other one is, if our kids are going to be going over their house to ask the question, does your kid have a computer in their room? Do they have a laptop or a connected device that they're able to access apart from you? Um, and the the extremely rare occasions where there's something like a sleepover, which mm. my default setting is there is no sleepover, right? Even into high school, there is no sleepover unless there is significant. We know each other. We have had the conversations. We trust the ideals, the morals, the, the way of interacting that, uh, that is going to, what's going to be permitted, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right, in that other home. Yeah. Because it's just not worth it. Yeah. It's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, these are things that, you know, many of us that are parents, this wasn't part of our growing up. Mm-mm. So now all of a sudden we get thrown into dynamics and conversations and situations that were never part of how we were parented. Mm-hmm. But now we have to be parents and up our game.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the tension is what you're describing is a, a, it's, uh, it's the healthy middle because we, we need to be on guard, and, uh, and you guys are. And the home has got to be your castle, sadly, your fortress. Um, but that doesn't mean that, okay, we're going to pick up stakes and move to the middle of the woods and just uh, be our own commune. Um, because the, other, the part the other half of the tension is we are still called by Christ to proclaim the gospel to all the nations as you keep saying we need to be salt light and leaven out in the world but and so that's the tension how to what extent can we do that without compromising um, the security and and the innocence and the holiness of what we've established and maintained with our kids and family? And And then, you know, at what point do we need to pull back so these kind of conversations as tough as they are with the other families is a way that you're managing to do that and um, I hope that more families can feel encouraged uh, with the strength of faith to to follow suit in a manner
0: well, and uh, sadly, uh, parents that are not paying attention to this are going to experience it's not whether they're going to it's to what extent they're going to experience the toxic pollution of their daughters coming to experience depression, anxiety, self-harming, mm-hmm. and suicidal ideation, and other uh, diminishments of their own modesty and purity. Mm-hmm. Um oh, there you go. How's that again? <laughs> what another happy day we're having here, <laughs> Father Lewis, but that's the reality yeah when you when you say uh, I, statistics, right? there was a statistic that came out that said, what percentage of ninth and tenth grade girls have had suicidal ideation? You wanna guess? Or pre, or made an attempt. Pre or
1: post COVID. Today. Like today, a, this like is in today. the last couple of years. Okay. I, I would guess three quarters. So it was thirty-three percent. Oh, wow, I thought yeah. it was way higher. Okay. Yeah, so
0: thirty three percent but that's, that's one in three. I, yeah. You, you go to the you go to a typical high school,
1: okay. you
0: walk around, and line up all the ninth and tenth grade girls and say how many of them have thought about ending their lives? Yeah. Okay, one, two, three, one, two, three, mm-hmm. one, two and stunning. Yeah. Shocking. Tragic. This was not my growing up. This yeah. was not your growing up. Right. This is today. Yeah. So you, you talk about a, a calamity again. This is a an absolute calamity mm-hmm. that is happening in the middle of a beautiful sunny day. Let's go have a nice cookout to celebrate mothers this weekend. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's not the world that we're living in. Right. So um so this idea of vigorous, rigorous action, well, guess, guess who is taking vigorous, rigorous action? You know, the forces of the anti-gospel mm-hmm. that have mm-hmm. an agenda that will destroy the, the peaceful period of, um, of, of this, uh, the latent, they call it the latency period, right? Mm-hmm. The latency period is, the, is that period that young people experience where they don't have awareness They don't have a conscious attention where they're reflecting on or having presented to them in a direct way these things that they're not ready to receive. So things that would shock their imagination, that would disturb the peaceful development and and, um, growth of their awareness, for instance, of their own sense of sexual identity, Hmm. their awareness of themselves as sexual beings. This is not intended to happen before the tween years, uh, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, is when those things are to be presented in a healthy format, like the biological side of things, and then the personal awareness side of things. Not kindergarten, first grade, comprehensive right. sexuality, education, do you feel fluid about your gender today? Right. That is horrific. Mm-hmm. It is, it's demonic is it what is. it is. It's satanic, yeah. It's satanic, mm-hmm. and... And what are we doing about it? Mm-hmm. You know, let's get some more burgers on the, on the grill. Right. You
1: know, so... Well, that's another tension is that um, I worry about this constantly as a pastor. Um, I could, you know, I, I can perceive and hear about and, and, and so on what's going on out there. And, and I got souls who need me right here. And it comes back to like the circle of control, influence, and concern. And so, you know, Christ is the Savior of the world, I'm his agent here in the people put into my life and, and hope that... As By the way, I like that. I like those circles.
0: Where'd you get that? Um, control, influence,
1: concern. That's from, three circles. That's, that's actually a business book or leadership book called uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It was in there, really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I forgot
0: that. Yeah, okay, I, keep I, going. I like that. So yeah. the circle of c- control is your immediate
1: relationships
0: where you yeah. and really, really just can your, impact things.
1: Really just yourself. I mm-hmm. can only truly control how I will react or respond to a circumstance, and, um, and to some measure, you know, like you can con- control much about your household, um, and then influences the behaviors of those that I'm regularly in contact with, and then, and then concern is, I should be concerned about, you know, Russia-Ukraine war for a variety of reasons, but if I focus on that, I'm draining a lot of energy on that to the neglect of the people entrusted to my care, right in the present moment, mm-hmm. and uh, and frequently the circle of concern has us me dwell in the past or overly worry about the future. That's where Satan wants me to be focused, but God is in the the eternal present, in the present moment. Again, the people immediately present to my and to to me now. That's not to say to focus only on that, like an ostrich with a head in the sand. Um, to take in, okay, this is going on. I can maybe see how this might trickle down. In these ways to to me here, uh, okay. So good. I've got that's on my radar. Um, and then and then the circle control here. You remember the scene again, Top Gun Maverick. So now, uh, spoiler alert: they're going down on the mission, right? And they have the the eye in the sky keeping a radar up, and all and they're on their mission. And all of a sudden, they pick up the two bogies, mm-hmm. and and all of a sudden, it's like, where did they come from? What's the story? What do we do? And Tom Cruise makes the the, the executive decision. We keep going because it looks like they're just on some kind of patrol. But then he says, as soon as such and such happens, they're going to redirect course and intercept us. So we got to pick up speed. I mean, he just makes decision after decision. So he took that point of concern, saw how it could apply to what is in his control and responded. And I think that's a great image of how these circles can work. And so I can see what's going on in the world and, and, and perceive how it might trickle down the various ways. And then I've just got to park it where it belongs and, and, and channel my energies into the now. And if each of us could do that, and it radiates outwards because it's God-focused, it's it's Christ-centered, and and we're working for the salvation of souls, you know, in the immediate area, and each of then it radiates outward just like the spread of the gospel with Peter and Paul, and um, and that's how we can do this. But it's very relational, very slow-moving, and a very piecemeal. But I think it's sure and certain uh, because we're helping each other to be built up, and then the people that we're building up are helping their people to be built up. I think that's how that works, but, but man, it's tough because I'm seeing this person dying out there right now, and you know, or I, you know, in their soul, I and I, if I try to worry about that or control, I may not just be the person to do that.
0: Yeah, I I, I really like that way you mapped it out. Uh, the language that I've used is I call it density of concern, hmm. and so my I've had to shift my focus. From being concerned about the whole church to the church in the United States to the church in in the state of Washington to Western Washington to now Eastern Washington to my own parish to no my own family mm-hmm. there it is the density of concern had to be that focused to actually take action yeah we'll talk about this more in a minute on sound insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran with Father Jeff Lewis, the pastor of St. Mary's in Spokane Valley. So, Father Lewis, uh, I used that phrase density of concern, kind of uh, confirming what you were talking about that um, I can't concretely take care of everybody. And if I tried to be so concerned about everybody, I'm not going to get anything done. Mm -hmm. But let's translate this a little bit more. Because when I think about the idea of taking action, I think that's where um, Carrie and I were saying the density of concern we have, first of all, has to be on our own family. And our desire to be of service even to other families, even maybe our own family members, at some point has to be second Mm -hmm. to the fact that we have this family, these children, that we are called upon to be stewards of first. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of chatter and uh, challenging and kind of intense comments made towards us four years ago when we moved here like how can you leave us why would you leave us you can't just run and hide you can't right it was all of that kind of language that on the one hand had a a kind of validity if 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 the concern that folks had was equal across the board right but when i realized no 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 there's a a my call has this density the closer you get to the center, and if I can't take care of the center first, then I'm not going to be able to take care of that outer circle well yeah. second. And, and that, that's a big challenge. Mm-hmm. That, that's a really big challenge. Yeah. But I think that it, it doesn't mean it's a free-for-all, but it means that in some ways, if I do what is right and, and godly for my family... It's also going to be the best for everyone else. Yeah, it'll have that reverberating effect and impact
1: on other people's lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I would even add to that that, that the 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 height, highest density of the the density of concern that you described, the primary primary point is your you and Carrie, your relationship as as married couple, holy matrimony, of the sacrament. If they, if that's not solidly in place. Then what you each or together try to do for the kids is diminished because that's not solid, and that's that was your first vocation. You didn't become parents first and then got married. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do that these days, um, but you you know in the proper order. So and
0: then even before that mm-hmm. is
1: what is your relationship with God? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's
0: like the best thing I can do for my relationship with Carrie is become Be, a saint.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So
0: and so it's that God, Carrie, kids you know and then then the wider work in the world and ministry yeah um but trying to get guys to realize that
1: mm-hmm. trying
0: to get guys to realize that um this idea of you can't go and hide well i can get my kids off the front line yeah i can in fact isn't it the wisest thing to get my kids off the front line in order to strengthen them, form them, train them, right? Because I, I in their
1: time, they will be the new front line.
0: Then eventually, they'll be ready and equipped to yeah. be on the front line. Yeah. But if you have them living on the front line, not a very wise, healthy place to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think a band of brothers, mm-hmm. right? Like they were recruited. Um, but how, how long was it between when they first arrived at what was that place called? Camp, the first camp they were at? Uh,
1: yeah, somewhere in Georgia, I think. Uh, yeah. I can't remember. Oh good. Camp camp a tongue. It was some no, kind no, of no, American. It was, name, oh wasn't gosh, it?
0: it was the name of that rock at the top there that they would have to oh, run yeah, up to that rock. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. whatever. But it was it was like two or three years. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Between when they first arrived and they jumped mm-hmm. in um, D Day. And I'm thinking how much how much training camp, how much basic formation and training are you doing for your kids if they're, if they're actually living day-to-day on the front line? Mm-hmm. So I feel very uh, comfortable saying to parents, are you living on the front line, and do you need to flee?
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: So I'll tell you one more story, Father. <laughs> there was a, a woman that um, we met. Um, her name was Idina, which was, means peace, right? From the Ukraine. Okay and a refugee. So she showed us her uh, her family picture and her home, a beautiful estate. I mean it was a gorgeous estate, like multi million dollar estate. Husband a corporate lawyer and beautiful home, beautiful kids. And then she showed us the next picture, which was at the beginning of the Russia Ukraine war. They're, the kids are down in the basement, and there's a bathtub down there, and that's where they're sleeping to protect them from any kind of danger. And it's just like, okay, that's kind of dramatic. And so she showed us the next picture, which was the hole in the roof, big, big hole, a crater in the roof where the bomb had hit. And then there was the next one where she said, she went away from pictures and said, um, and then the Russian soldiers came onto the front of the property in their you know, Jeeps and other, you know, actual army, right? Mm-hmm. They are running out of the house, getting into their cars and fleeing out the backside as the Russian soldiers are shooting at them. Mm-hmm. And then she lifted up her shirt and her side and showed the massive scar where the Russian bullet had hit her.
1: Wow.
0: And so she was literally wounded by this bullet Mm-hmm. From this Russian soldier, and then told the journey of how they had to make their way from Ukraine all the way to Belgium wow. in order to get to the United States from Belgium from the embassy in the uh in the Ukrainian embassy in Belgium to get to here wow. and here they're living in some rinky dink apartment and she's cleaning houses and he's doing yard work Wow, okay do we? realize that we live in that situation. Right. <clears throat> you know, I I think I think we still think we're living in the first picture. Mhm. Right? It's beautiful, we'll, we, everything's beautiful sunny day. We don't realize that there's a bomb that's hitting the house. We mm. don't realize that there is an enemy coming through the front gate. We don't realize that there are there are spiritual bullets coming at our kids. Mm-hmm. And if we just sit around, there's going to be just ra- real destruction.
1: Yeah.
0: And if and if you know, who who would not applaud them? They they'd all get applauded for what they did. Like so brave, amazing that they made that. They uprooted and did that for the sake of their family mm-hmm. to save their lives. Will families do that today to save their kids' spiritual lives?
1: Right, to save their souls. To yeah. save their souls. Yeah. There's my story. hmm What do you think? I think it's yeah, I think it's good. It's a great visual and on what's going on in the spiritual realm. You talk about the the calamity that is upon us. I I didn't think of a bomb hitting the ceiling, but you know, in movies where there's some kind of like crater that forms and it just expands outward and we're just still sitting on the deck as the crater poaches us like, oh, we got the barbecue on, it's a nice sunny day, and we're like, oh, don't pay attention to that crater. It's going to come to us and the house is going to collapse and we're going right into it. And, um, and and that's what's, yeah, you're right. That's It's like happening.
0: that Boxing Day video from indonesia where the tsunami was coming yeah the water gone out and everyone's standing there looking and then all of a sudden it dawns on someone no get out of yeah. there get out of there that's a tidal wave get out of there mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and people just look in and you don't take action it's all going to be washed away yeah, yeah
1: you're going to
0: and and that's we've been living in a spiritual tsunami for the last forty years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And what do you have? Eight masses on a Sunday down to no time to close one of these parishes because it's so empty and cavernous.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, Father Lewis, <laughs> I'm so glad that you're on with me today in the last two minutes. Can you redeem this program? Can you give us some hope in the middle of this? I would go
1: back to our scripture passage that we began with that seek first the Lord and his kingdom and all these things will be uh, given you besides. So that's an image I use one time in a homily, is that the calamity is like, you know, the great whirlpool, like at the end of the Little Mermaid cartoon that the witch queen is doing and something. I imagine a whirlpool like that, we're all just going to get sunk into the middle of it. But imagine a great and immovable pillar of rock at the center of that whirlpool. That rock is Christ. We've got to cling to that rock and stay close to Christ. And there's people in the whirlpool, that are reaching out to us, not that we can save them, but they're screaming out to us, come on in, the water's fine. And, and we need to try to do what we can to save them, but not at the expense of letting go of the rock of Christ. So seek first the kingdom of the Lord and his kingdom, and, and these other things will be done unto you. So stay close to the sacraments. I mean, the three habits of, of, of the spiritual life, daily prayer, I think, especially with scripture, you know, weekly mass on Sundays, if not more frequently, and monthly confession. If we are faithful to those three things, that is like the bare minimum of how we can stay close to the cross of Christ in these turbulent times.
0: I like that, daily, weekly, monthly. Yeah. I don't think you've ever said that before on the program.
1: I stole that from another priest. I have no original no, thought, to No, no, Tom. just
0: make it up. <laughs> just say, as I was praying, the Lord revealed to me, daily, weekly, monthly. That's good. I like that. Yeah. All right, so we um, we're recording this before Mother's Day, but we hope and pray that all of you mothers were there and had a, a very blessed Mother's Day, honored by your family. I'm still a hand wringing father over. The, <laughs> make sure that Carrie gets honored, yeah. guys. It, it's too late to say it now, but you got to focus on their love language, right? Yeah. If, if they're not if they're not into gift giving and 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 maybe it's words of affirmation, maybe it's acts of service, whatever it is, find that love language and do that. And it's the best way to, to, to be applauded rather mm-hmm. than corrected on Mother's <laughs> Day. You don't want to be corrected on Mother's Day. All right. God bless you all. Thanks, Father Lewis, for being You're with welcome. me today. All right. God bless you all. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight. Oh, and a special guest, Eric Jenis. Eric is uh, going to be performing a benefit concert for the Chesterton Academy coming up um, in uh, a short while. You're going to learn more about that tomorrow on the program. God bless your day.